the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. <clears throat> so what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is the gospel of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you, church family and friends. If I haven't met you, my name is Drew. I am the pastor of discipleship, and I am uh, so glad to be walking through this passage with you today on this sunny day here in Charleston or wherever you might be if you're joining us online. Let me start out this way. When Laura and I first moved to South Carolina, which was about 12 years ago, we lived outside of Greenville. And we purchased our first home. And as you do when you purchase a first home, there are projects that you might want to accomplish. The biggest one for us initially was to rip up all of the linoleum, which was not pretty, in our kitchen area and to replace it with tile. I, having never done that before, thought this is a great opportunity for me to do this. How hard can it be? YouTube wasn't that helpful. It was in its infancy, about five years old, so I had no videos to go off of. Would have been really helpful today. So I went and I bought all the supplies, and I went to Lowe's, and I bought all of the nicer supplies that you really don't probably need to spend the money on, but I wanted to do this well. I thought that having the right supplies would make this project go, go better if I bought the expensive ones. Um, spoiler alert, it didn't. And so I start, I start laying this mortar, right, this mixture, and I start laying the tiles. And quickly, within a few hours, I realize something's not right. It feels a lot less like I'm laying tiles than laying steps. <laughs> Everything started to go up. And I quickly realized that when I was laying some of these uh, last tiles in a corner that my mixture was about this thick and uh, this, this isn't good. So I just stopped. Um, probably Laura said, you just need to stop. You clearly don't know what you're doing. She was right. That next Sunday, I, I made a joke at the church that I was serving at that I had started this project. It went poorly, and then I was kidding, and I said, so if anybody wants to come save us, feel free. And guess what? Somebody did. Um, he showed up. He lived across the street. He was retired. He had done this for a living. He showed up, and he looked at um, my project, and he kind of chuckled, and I was super humbled, and he explained what had happened. I had the wrong mixture. I didn't have enough water. I had way too much of the, of the mortar substance in there, and I just didn't have enough water. And so what I was doing is I was laying 
a really bad foundation for these tiles to go on. Luckily, I wasn't too far into the project, and he got us back on track. But this made me realize even this week when I thought back on this, how important the right foundation is, not to just home projects or a house or or laying tile, but in our life, seriously, for every single one of us. The right foundation is absolutely critical. And so what I want to ask this morning as we start and we jump into this passage, and this is a very honest passage. This is one where we really do need to have our hearts open and say, okay, God, where do you want to show me? What area or areas in your life is the foundation starting to crack? And this question will pop up here. Starting to crack, has cracked, or feels wobbly or uneven? So think about that as we walk through this. In what area or areas of your life is the foundation starting to crack, has cracked, or it feels wobbly or uneven? Maybe it's marriage. Maybe marriage has gotten really challenging. It's been a tough season, or it feels like the foundation is a little bit rocky, right? Maybe it's, um, maybe it's uh, relationships, other relationships. Maybe it feels like it's gone a little bit sideways, or those relationships aren't healthy, or they're based on something that's really unhealthy. Maybe it's just your decision-making, or the process in which you make decisions. Maybe it's a deep-seated struggle in some area of your life that's been there for a minute, or it's been there for a really long time, and you know deep down, man, this is built on a really rocky foundation. This is starting to fall apart. Maybe it's your disposition toward yourself or toward others. Do you find it really difficult to love or to show love or to be loved? For some of us, our foundation has been built on a lot of lies. And let me say this morning, this passage is for uh, students. If you're in here, just as much as adults, it always is. If there is one thing, and we're going to jump to this in a moment, if there is one thing that I wish I embraced or I knew at an earlier age or I got, it would be this, is grace. And we're going to see this. But maybe our foundation is built on lies. Maybe this is dated a long time back. Maybe it's lies about our identity, um, how we identify ourselves. Maybe we've been building a foundation based on our achievements, based on our career, based on what we can do or what we can produce. Maybe we've built a foundation based on busyness. Maybe you constantly find yourself needing to share with others how busy you are, how, how tired you are, how worn out you are, that you've bought into this idea that being on the brink of burnout is actually a good thing, and it means you're doing the right thing, and, and maybe you're wearing busyness like a badge of honor, and you haven't yet realized that it's actually a hospital bracelet. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a deep-seated lie. It goes even deeper. Maybe it's this belief that you're not lovable or that you're too broken or that you've done something in your past that uh, simply can't heal, that you aren't good enough, whatever it might be. All of these cracks, all of these uneven spots, all of these inconsistencies in our foundation are without exception caused by one thing. Whether you've done it or it's been done to you, it's caused by sin sin. The unavoidable reality that every single one of us who has ever been born were born into. And the more sin runs wild throughout our lives, all areas of our lives without being addressed, the more damage it causes. Whatever is built on the foundation comes crumbling down. And I don't want this for you. Jesus doesn't want this for you. God speaks into this 
repeatedly. And what we're going to see today is that having this right foundation, a strong foundation, a better foundation, it matters far more than we realize. And so here's the good news, because we're good news people, right? That's what I love about our church. You're not going to come here and get, you know, five steps to a better life. Week in and week out, what you're going to get is Jesus. Week in and week out, what you're going to get is the truth of the gospel. Because we believe that Jesus changes everything. Amen? Anybody had their life changed by Jesus? Yeah. So we have great news today. We're coming off Easter, right? And <laughs> we have more great news if we'll hear it. But it also comes with this honest reflection. And so here's the good news. Here's the big idea of our passage today that I'm hoping we embrace, not just for the next few minutes, not just for today, but in all of our life. While sin should break our heart, grace rebuilds our hope. This beautiful, amazing thing called grace, which is good for all of us. And so we're going to jump into this passage today that you just heard Kathy read. Now, before we do that and before I pray, you may notice that if you um, read this in your Bible, um, if you read this on an app, maybe there's brackets around the passage or maybe there's a footnote here. This is sort of interesting that says this was not included in the original manuscripts. And so what does that mean for us? Well, many scholars and theologians believe that this passage... um, wasn't included in the, well, it wasn't included in the original manuscripts. It showed up maybe around the 6th century, and and there are a few reasons here. Um, If you take this out, chapter 7 and chapter 8 flow pretty seamlessly, and also a big piece here is that the language that's used, it sounds a lot more like Luke, the disciple Luke, than it does John. Um, But in the midst of that, and I agree with that, Um, We don't know exactly why it's here at the end of chapter 7, but here's what we do know. And even John alludes to this at the very end of his book. He says, hey, we couldn't record everything. If we recorded everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books to hold it. And we also know that the people were so compelled by this account that Jesus had with this woman and with these religious leaders that they desperately wanted it to be included. And we have no reason to believe that this wasn't a real account or this didn't really happen. And so as we walk through this today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at this the same way that we would any passage, absolutely believing that God is going to speak to us in it and through it. What does he have to show us about Jesus, his heart, and the gospel? So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this passage. I pray that you would speak truth to us today. I pray that you would fill us with good news. I pray that you would break up foundations that are faulty, foundations that have been built on lies, foundations that haven't been built on you. And I pray that you would absolutely rebuild them. I pray that that would give us hope, that that would give us joy, that that would give us a better reality, and that that would make us a grand witness of your grace and your goodness to those around us. So Jesus, we pray for this time. Would you work through the power of the Holy Spirit in this place, in our hearts, in your name, amen. All right, let's pick up in verse 53. It says, they went each to their own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. And they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. 
So what's happening here is that Jesus' ministry is in full force, and he's teaching unlike anybody else has, and people are coming, and they're listening, and they want to hear what he has to say, what he has to teach. And so many were still following, they were hearing about him, they were coming. And so Jesus shows at the temple, and he's teaching, and these religious leaders, they burst in, woman in hand, and explain, hey, we caught her in the act of adultery, Here's what the law of Moses says. Jesus would have known this, obviously. He's Jesus, right? What do you say? What do you think we should do here? And so this question is really interesting. What do you say? Meaning that they thought there were two options here. There's more than two, but they thought there were two options. Maybe Jesus would actually side with them and say, yeah, we need to stone this woman. And he would lose some followers, because it wouldn't quite align with these new things that he's been teaching as he's been sort of turning culture on its head. And so maybe they could discount him a bit. Or maybe he would say he would go against the law and they could entrap him, which they were ultimately seeking to do. Now, um, what does this law actually say? Well, let's look at it real quick. It's in Deuteronomy twenty-two, twenty-two. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but something is already off here. It's a little bit odd. It says they caught her in the act of adultery. A little strange. Feels like this may have been sort of a sting operation, <laughs> something they had planned out, something they knew was going to happen right? That's odd. There's also something else strange. Don't know if you notice it. They didn't bring in a man. Um, adultery happens with two people. Always has. There's no man. So why did they do this? What were they trying to get at here? Well, verse six shows us why. It says they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. They don't care about justice. They simply want to get rid of Jesus. Why? Because up until this point in Jesus begins his ministry, they thought they had it pretty good. These religious leaders were following the letter of the law to the T, and they believed that that would equate to their righteousness. And they were holding others to this unattainable standard of perfection that they themselves couldn't even live up to. They loved keeping people in bondage. They loved keeping people underneath their grip through shame, through fear. And they did that up until this point that Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I'm bringing something different. I'm bringing something new. Because Jesus shows up and instead of talking about condemnation, instead of talking about shame, instead of talking about all of these things that the religious leaders were pushing on everybody else, what does Jesus do? Well, here's what he does. He comes on the scene and he brings a jackhammer, not to the law, because the issue here isn't even the law, but to their misuse and abuse of it. And he digs up this disgusting, vile foundation that they had built, and he starts to rebuild it with something far better. Jesus starts to talk about things like forgiveness. He starts to talk about things like mercy. He starts to show compassion. He introduces this beautiful thing called love and grace, and they hated it. Here's what Jesus does next. It says, Jesus bent down to ask him this question. 
And he wrote with his finger on the ground. Oh my goodness, what was he writing? No one knows. If you read something that claims to know what Jesus was writing, throw it in the trash. Nobody knows what Jesus is writing. Why does he do this? Why does he start writing on the ground? Uh, My guess or my assumption is he does this to actually make them think about what they're doing and to build a bit of tension here. So he's, he's writing, he's doing something on the ground, right? And as they continued to ask him, so they're repeatedly asking him, what do you say? What do you say? Give us your verdict. What do you say? He stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So Jesus delivers his verdict. Now, will this work as a default practice on how to bring about justice? No, because if the accuser has to be sinless, then there's no justice anywhere ever, right? But this is not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus knows that righteousness and justice are important. Jesus isn't condoning adultery. That would have broken his heart. But he knew that this isn't what they cared about. They were coming after Jesus, not justice. And what he's doing is speaking directly into their misplaced motives and to their heart, not just to their head. Because it's clear that these leaders that should have been trusted, these religious leaders, people should have found safety under these leaders. They didn't care about this woman. They didn't care about compassion. They didn't listen to her story. They didn't know her background. They didn't know if something in her past had led to this. Now, for you and I, we would agree that this is horrible, what the leaders are doing, right? We would say, this is bad. This isn't right. This isn't good. They were willing to take this real human life simply to prove a point and to try to discredit Jesus. They didn't value her. It goes against everything that God values. We would agree that this is wrong, but how many times do we do the same thing whether in our actions or in our heart. When our spouse, when a friend, when someone we know, when they, when they sin against us, is our, is our immediate thought grace or is it judgment? Do we want to see them restored or is there a small piece of us, something inside of us that actually finds maybe even a bit of enjoyment in seeing people get what they deserve? I was thinking back to ancient Rome and the gladiators, and they would literally gather and pack out coliseums, and people would come, and they would spend the day there, and they would eat there, and and they would kind of party there. And in the midst, they would bring out criminals who would fight to the death simply for the amusement of people. This isn't a new thing, and this still happens in our modern culture. We do this all the time. We do this on the news. We do this on TV. We see it in tabloids. We see it all over social media. We find enjoyment and amusement as a culture in people falling from grace. And this isn't okay for God's kids. That's not what we should be about, because if we've received grace, it should completely change the way that we think about others, the way that we respond. We are now restoration people, not destruction people. And this doesn't discount justice. This doesn't discount righteousness. And so when we see these cracks maybe pop up in our own life where we find a bit of enjoyment or we feel like we constantly want people to get what they deserve, it's showing us maybe one of two things, that we aren't fully accepting, understanding grace, or we aren't fully accepting grace. There's also this verse in Matthew chapter 7, 
It says, judge not lest you be judged. Here's what this means, is that God is the ultimate judge and authority. Why? Because we are all guilty. Every single one of us. That no one is innocent, which is the reason for what happens next. Look at verse 8. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, creating a bit more tension here. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. That's kind of interesting. I think they got it a little bit quicker. They had experienced a little bit more life. They also knew that their life wasn't perfect for longer. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, this isn't working. They walked away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So their reaction, they walked away because ultimately their conscience was convicted. They wanted death over mercy. They wanted wrath over kindness. They wanted to destroy a life in order to discredit Jesus. And picture this scene, though. Put yourself in this woman's place for a moment. Can you imagine her being here on the ground, surrounded by these religious leaders that are calling for her death? And here's what happens, though. She's expecting to die, and instead what happens? Her accusers leave. One by one, they walk away, and she's left with Jesus. And these next words are the bedrock of our hope. It is the bedrock of the hope that we find in the gospel. It sums up exactly what Jesus is seeking to do as he builds a new foundation, not only for this woman, but for us, that's built on grace. And because we're good news people, right? We agreed with that. And because we love grace, it demands a response. We can't not hear these words and respond in some way inwardly or outwardly. Now, I'm not asking you to get up and run around and and do anything nuts, but here's what I'm saying is that we are good news people and we've been changed by grace and we love grace and these words are absolutely amazing and should fill us with joy and hope no matter where we find ourselves. No matter what the situation is, no matter what foundations in our life need to be broken up and rebuilt. These next words, Jesus is not only speaking to this woman, but he's speaking to us today. So let's listen to these. Jesus stood up and he said to her, very gently, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This woman and Jesus knew the exact same thing. Regardless of the situation, regardless of of the people bringing her in, she was guilty. She was guilty, but Jesus offers her something that no one else had. He offers her grace. He says, neither do I condemn you. Not because, hey, adultery doesn't matter. Not, hey, I don't condemn you. Now go and do whatever you want to do and and just live your life. No, not at all. Because he follows that with go and sin no more. What Jesus is getting at with this 
woman is that I am rebuilding and restoring your righteousness, your holiness. You are forgiven. God forgives you. You threw it away. I'm rebuilding it. I'm not lessening the command. That's why he says, go and sin no more. Don't do this anymore. Don't live like this. And now you can because I've forgiven you completely. This woman had a whole different reason, a much better motivation for going and sinning no more, for not continuing in this. And it's not fear-based. It says, now there is no condemnation because of grace, which your life is now built upon. So just as this is true for her, this is our hope against sin. And I get it. Sin is tough. It's not something we like to talk about. It's challenging. And yet it's a part of our life every single day we battle with it. And I get it. For maybe some of us in here, maybe there's just been chronic sin issues. And you know it. And maybe you've pushed it down deep. Maybe you've sort of hidden it away. Or maybe it's just something that's sort of become this roommate that you just sort of are like, it's here. And it's tough. And it feels like there's no escape. And it feels like there's no hope because maybe it's gone on for a long time. And you've, you've tried as best you can. And it's been tough. And you've been wrestling against it. Maybe it's some form of even an addiction. And you're just like, I'm worn out. And I sort of just want to throw in the towel here. Or maybe I even have thrown in the towel. And I'm like, this is just going to be a part of, of my life for the rest of my life. And it feels impossible. But here's what this passage is making clear with Jesus' command to this woman to go and sin no more. Is that any sin covered in grace is a sin that can be overcome. And I'm not saying that lightly. So don't hear me say, hey, this is easy. Just stop doing that. No, it's not easy. It's a lot easier said than done. For many of us, this is going to be a daily battle. It's going to be a daily wrestling with the flesh. And some days we're going to completely botch it. And we're going to need this grace that Jesus talks about. We're going to need forgiveness. We're going to need to offer forgiveness to our spouses. We're going to need to offer forgiveness to our kids. Kids, you're going to have to ask for, or you're going to have to desire forgiveness from your parents, right? This happens. We need that grace. We need that mercy. We need that compassion. Here's what else you need to know is that even when you botch it, Jesus isn't walking away from you. This grace that was just as true for this woman right now, if she walked away and she messed up again, be just as true for her tomorrow. Because God's grace is a good grace that's not based upon our works to earn it, to achieve it. It's based upon what he's already done. And it's that grace that's the motivation to say, you know what, I'm not just going to sin because I have worldly grief or because I just feel kind of bad about this, or because it affects people around me. I don't want to sin because I love God more than this, and I know he wants more for me than this. And so we fight against sin. Just as the Bible says, we are overcomers because Christ has overcome. But we need grace to do it. Fighting against sin without grace is like trying to fight a wildfire with a squirt gun. It's tiring. And some of us were tired and worn out Trying to restore a marriage without grace, it's a tough road. Trying to restore relationships or keep relationships intact without grace, offer, try, trying to establish a, a, a new identity without grace, even if we can white-knuckle it, even if we can make it happen for a time, what's the result? We end up like these Pharisees, like these religious leaders. We become hypocrites. We become moralists. We become uh, works-based righteousness, and eventually that foundation crumbles. It's not strong enough to hold us. 
Imagine what must have been going through this woman's mind. She is prepared for a stoning, and a stoning was rough. She would have been buried about waist down. She would have had her hands tied behind her back, and she would have simply had to endure people launching, not pebbles, but giant boulders and stones at her until she couldn't breathe anymore, and she died. This is what she was expecting, and according to the law, she's guilty, but Jesus steps in, and instead of wrath, he offers her a new lease on life, and this is the story of the gospel, right? That Jesus comes in authority, he fulfills the law, he rebuilds it on grace, and he offers freedom, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And this is hard to believe. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes this is really hard to believe. And we commit what I would call oftentimes sort of a suicide of the soul. We just can't believe that we're really forgiven. We can't imagine that Jesus would really love us like this, and yet he does. And so we prepare ourselves to be stoned day in and day out, or maybe when we just feel like we've messed up too bad, it's like, there's no way Jesus could want to know me now. There's no way he could forgive this. There's no way he could want a relationship with me or still want a relationship with me. There's no way he could restore this relationship. There's no way that he could put this back together. I guess I might as well just tie my arms around my back and we prepare for a stoning, but guess what? It doesn't come. It doesn't come because Jesus took far worse than a stoning for, for you and me. We are this woman. We're the woman at the well. We're the blind man. We're Barabbas. We're the thief on the cross. We're these Pharisees. And without someone stepping in, we're doomed to suffer this eternal stoning. And yet Jesus comes and he lives this perfect life. Jesus takes our worst, his sin, this woman's adultery, to the cross. And he stays there for six hours and he finishes it. Jesus isn't held there by the nails in his hands or the nails in his feet. Jesus is held there by grace, by love, by compassion, with a heart for us. As our foundation is crumbling, Jesus declares, it is finished, meaning the law has been fulfilled. Now there's a new law of love and grace that you get to live under and live in. The guilty are freed and the hopeless have hope, and that's us this morning. That's you this morning. Jesus has given you hope. He's given you grace He's shown us love, even in the midst of our sin. And he's saying, go and sin no more because of this grace. And we need this every day. Through grace, our marriage can have a new foundation. Through grace, we can turn from what we've been doing and turn to Jesus. From grace, we don't have to have an identity based on our achievements, based on some standard that somebody's placed for us based on our busyness, based on whatever it might be. Instead, we can have an identity that's already founded in Jesus as we are, the God who has loved us. We don't have to live in our past. Instead, we can have a new future where a foundation where the lies are destroyed and God's love shows through. And so here's the invitation for us today. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. This is what he's offering you just like he offered this woman. And he's not saying, hey, I'll love you when you fix this. I'll love you when you clean up. I'll love you when you get your act together. He's saying, come to me now. I offer forgiveness. I offer freedom. I offer grace. And I'll do a work in your heart, a work in your life. And he says, you can do that. And so maybe if that's you today and you've just been hesitant, you haven't quite believed that God would really want to love you. There's been something in your past or something in your present. Would today be the day that you open your hands that you receive his grace, that you give him your sin. Not to live a perfect life because we can't do it, but to know that his grace and his righteousness, his life, death, and resurrection cover us 
even when we fall short. Or maybe you've been a Christian, maybe you are a Christian, and maybe you know that there's some area in your life that is built on this faulty foundation, a false belief, a lie, something somebody told you, something somebody did to you, a sin, a sin that's still been haunting you, a sin that's still there. Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's other relationships, maybe it's a family dynamic, whatever it might be, would you hand that to Jesus today? Maybe you just had a hard time, just like I have, understanding grace. We do, all the time. Sometimes I feel like it's far easier to understand the depth of our sin than it is to understand the depth of God's love and his grace. So would you ask God, show me that you love me today. Just remind me. (laughs) Remind me that, that, that you love me not because I'm getting everything right, but you love me because you did. Would you believe that today? Would you hear the same words of this woman heard? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Don't we want this? Don't we thirst for this? Don't we need this? Because grace changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Through Jesus, our life is changed. Through Jesus, our community can be changed. Through Jesus, Charleston can be changed. Through Jesus, the broken can be put back together. Through Jesus, marriages are restored. Through Jesus, we have a greater future, a greater hope. Through Jesus, no matter what happens tomorrow, we're not losing him, and we have this hope that is built on his love called grace. Amen? And so while sin should break our heart, grace rebuilds our hope. Our hope to live in freedom, to live in joy, to live in love, to forgive, and to go and sin no more. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your hope. May we embrace it. May we live in it. And may we offer it to others. Do your work now, even in these moments. Bring up areas of our lives that you want to break down and rebuild for your glory, for our good. Thank you for your love, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for overcoming so that we could overcome through you. We pray this in your name. Amen.